uh, here at our church. Today we're going to be looking in uh, Luke chapter 18 at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. This is, of course, a parable that's going along with our sermon series on parables and our small group campaigns. We hope that that's being uh, something that's helpful to you in your faith. And uh, I'd like to read from verses 9 uh, on through verse 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to uh, these words, and we believe that they are your words, and we ask today that as Pastor Mike comes to interpret them and, and teach us that your spirit would flow through him, may we have ears to hear and a heart to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning at the end of uh, my prelude to communion, the sermon, um, you're going to be taking communion at two stations at the end of each aisle. And from time to time, I think it's important, so I hope that as your pastor you'll trust my guidance and leadership on this. It's important for us to take communion without the priestly function, without a pastor or a communion steward uh, holding the things. Uh, Rather, let you simply come, as you saw in the story that that Keith read a few moments ago, come yourself and be yourself before God. And and so I would call this uh, today what we're having is an empty chancel communion, uh, which is to say that you're collecting with yourself and, and God and God alone. Um, If you're on our communion team, our homebound communion team, your bags are here as always. Um, And so when we get to the end of my my sermon, I'll direct you to come uh, as the ushers guide you to communion. And today the way you do it is there's obviously the offering plates that you see each week here. Um, And then there's a a bowl of of bread and a a bowl of juice. And just take the piece of bread and and dip it in the bowl of juice. And then come to the center aisle and and pray as long as you'd like at the kneeling rail or or go back to your seats through uh, the center aisle, uh, if you would. I oftentimes, when I say to confirmation groups or others, when we're looking at scriptures, don't make it hard. Don't make what's being said here more difficult than it is. The story in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 and following is one of those stories. Don't, don't make it hard. It says right at the beginning what Je- why Jesus is teaching. It says, Jesus' reason for teaching to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Now, the context of Jesus' teaching is prayer. Two men went to the temple to pray. They, they weren't out marauding the countryside. They weren't clubbing people as they came into the temple. The context is two men came to pray. Now the focus is the question, what is the ground upon which you approach God? What is the ground of your approach to God? 
How do you come, not just here, but in your daily life, how do you come to God? How is it that you put yourself before God in this or any moment? That's what Jesus really is talking about it. And please, don't make it hard. This is not what he wants to talk about in this, this scripture. It is what he does talk about in this scripture. Both men, as they come into the temple, are sincere in their self-estimate. They're not praying for public consumption. They're not praying so that people around them might overhear them or say, Oh, what a magnificent prayer. They come to pray. Each approaching God in a very different way. You see, the Pharisee would be what we might call, or I don't know if we still use this term anymore, but I know it was certainly bantied about when I was a young person. The Pharisee would be considered a pillar of the church, one who is upright in the community, one that was probably fairly well liked in the community, one that was benevolent to the causes of the church and so forth. He was a pillar. The tax collector, however, is one step above unapproachable, one step above untouchable. If you don't know about how taxes were collected, we think we have problems with tax collectors. In ancient Israel, what would happen was the tax collector was a person like, like yourself. And what they would do is they'd make a bid to Rome saying, I will give you this much money this year for, for, for the ability to be the tax collector in this era. I will give you this much money. And the tax collector paid it first and then got some friends, you know, Chicago-like friends, to help him collect the tax. And of course, what he would do is he would gouge people because he'd already paid in advances the taxes due to Caesar. So so he was not well loved in the community. As a matter of fact, no one wanted anything to do, do with him. Unlike the Pharisee who was a pillar in the temple, the, the tax collector was, was one step above the scourge of the earth as far as others were concerned. And... Jesus makes very clear that the ground upon which they approach God is very different and one is raised to a higher level on his approach than the other. Let's take a look. The Pharisee had this attitude and, and I've seen it before in church and I know Vicki and Keith have said this, seen this too of a person that, that the Pharisee comes to church as if he was to say, well God, I'm here. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad, God, that I took some time out of my busy schedule, out of the many, take caring for the many things that I own, out of the, the time that I, I use to, 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 to fit things into my life, to manage this, to manage that, to go to the symphony, to manage the tournaments, to, to take care of my, my homes and my donkeys and all that. God, aren't you glad that I came to church today? Aren't you glad I'm here? I'm sure you are up in heaven. Very glad that I've come today. I know a few folks like this. Have you met some of them? Is it the one that's looking in the mirror at you? The Lord has a problem with this. See, it's easy to be blind to our own sin if you're staring at your own glory. It's easy to be blind to our own sin when we're staring at our own glory. You know, drink that in. Read, read what's on the screen. Just drink that in. It's easy to be blind to our own sin when we're staring at our own glory, what possibly could that mean? You see, the Pharisee had no real thanksgiving to offer. He, he didn't come ready to say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. As a matter of fact, when he starts his prayer, he uses the word God 
basically is a prelude or a preface to his own self-praise. He just says, hey, thanks God, here I am. His glance towards heaven was more about the fact that that's what you were kind of supposed to do when you went into the temple. That, you know, that tradition is that you were supposed to kind of look up to heaven. And, and, and it was more about that than about any faith that he might have had. You hear that all the time. People that have that kind of depth and richness and faith and they'll say, well, I, I sure hope the man upstairs helps me out. I just want to remind you when you use the terminology man upstairs, stairs are mountable. You can get from where you're at to where he is if there's steps to take. And let me advise you about this is you cannot walk your way to God. You cannot. God has come to you in the form of Jesus Christ. God comes to you in the Holy Spirit, but you cannot get across the gap where you at to where he is without him providing the bridge. So we relegate God, or this Pharisee does too, to simply kind of being the man upstairs, this ethereal, well-meaning being that has some of my best interests in mind, but really not willing to engage in who I really am. And so he says, I'm not like the others. This is his prayer. Thank God. Thank you, God. I am not like the others. I fast twice a week. I take even though I could afford food more than many others in my community, I, I take time away from eating to glorify you. Well, at least that's how Christians are supposed to fast. I, I give 10% of my money or more, maybe, to the church. You know, honestly, God, my faithfulness resume is quite impressive. I have done many things around the temple. I have, I've helped clean up the playground. I've taught in the Sabbath school. I've given to the building fund, etc., etc., etc. I've done all these things. And I'm not like others. I'm not scandalous. I'm not a murderer. I don't do bad things to others. And so in his mind, you see, don't, and don't make this hard. There's only two characters in this story. In his mind, he was righteous with God. He was just okay with God. God was his homeboy because he was okay with himself. He was okay with his own behavior. He was okay with what he was doing. He accounts for his own achievements, but he's completely unconscious of any defect he has. He's completely unaware of the incompleteness he has in his spiritual life. He has no need for God. And frankly, according to Jesus, his future holds no hope. His future holds no promise. I love this quote from one of the ancients named Luis Minez. No one can really at one and the same time call attention to himself and glorify God. What do you think about that? Think about that. No one can really at one and the same time call attention to themselves and glorify God. There was a, a fellow, and you've heard about him, and I don't bring this to you apologetically because I know he was very inspiring for many people and still is. But there was an athlete in, the last, in this generation named Lance Armstrong. You know who he is. You've heard of him. And he won a number of the Tour, Tour de France. So he's one of the most prolific bike riders in, in our generation, winning all those races. <clears throat> and as time went on, and, and you know the story, he came down with, with, with cancer and, and very heroically, frankly, as a human being, fought through that fight and inspired through the Livestrong Foundation, millions of dollars to be given, and many, many people to have courage in the midst of, ca- of their cancerous fight. That's a very good thing. And yet, All throughout all of that, 
He also had a pretty dark secret that others began to find out, which was that he was cheating. He was using performance-enhancing drugs, and when people called him out about it, he didn't figuratively, he literally ruined their lives. There are several families whose lives he ruined by tearing them down, by, by showing the, or, or making case because he had more wealth and so forth, that they were liars. So while he was very, he had this good thing going on, he was inspiring many others, he was more focused on his own glory and protecting that. He was blinded by what wrongdoing he was doing because the glory upon the Livestrong Foundation and Lance Armstrong himself were so great. And please don't understand this. Don't don't insert what I'm not saying. I do think that sometimes the bad can do wonderful things because sometimes what, 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 what Satan intends for bad, God can use for good. And I think that's the case in the fight against cancer. But when cheating was discovered, his glory was so blinding to him that he pushed everything out of the way. See, glory will breed condescension in almost every case. The spotlight blinds us to the world. I, I know I've, I've stood in, in uh, no, not so much here, but like when I, I think Cam Scott said it a couple weeks ago when he was preaching. When you're at summer games, for instance, and there's 600 kids out there, literally when you're on the stage, they have so many lights there, you can't see very many of them. You, you see yourself in the spotlight. And it takes a lot, I think, to stay focused on the fact that you're speaking to them when you cannot see them. I love about this congregation that even though we've decorated with, with shadows and bad lighting, I can see most of you in here. Some of you need to know, I can see most of you. But glory blinds us. It, 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 when, 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 when we have so full a picture of our own glory the spotlight on us blinds us to the world and other people people becomes obstacles or pawns for our our lives our wills and the spotlight blinds us to ourself and this is probably the more convicting piece of this it blinds us to our true self because we think that light that is hitting us is reflecting to the whole world but it actually stops at us You see, as we look at the Pharisee's prayer, we need to understand that proper thanks never involves condescension. It never involves condescension towards others. Faith can never express itself. Real faith, true faith in God can never express itself as despising others. Spiritual arrogance is presumption. It's a, it's a wrestling away of the gavel of judgment that our Lord hands as if we could stand in His place able to judge the whole world based on who we are. This is the exaltation of self that Jesus just flips over in this story. Now, looking down at others is not exclusively a first century behavior. Many today, maybe some of us in here, take pride in our own righteous behavior. And frankly, like the Pharisee, we might be a little bit offended if certain kinds of people tried to take our spot here. Now you can fill in the blank of whatever those people are or who those people are that you believe you're superior to you. Because actually, if you look at the God ledger, it's none. But yet, because of our cultural training, we might say, well, I don't know. Maybe somebody that comes in here smelling like weed. Maybe we don't think they should have a spot. Maybe somebody that can't afford a nice button-down shirt and hasn't had a shower in a couple of days. Maybe, we don't. Maybe somebody that's got more melanin in their skin than I have doesn't... You know, and and you can insert your own list there. But I'll tell you what, Jesus doesn't have a list. There are none that should not come before him. 
And so when we, when we talk about, when we start becoming self-righteous and act as if there are people that are morally inferior to us, we have a problem. Because it is, it is easy for us to think God owes us because of what, we, what we've done for Him. It's easy for us to believe that God owes us for what we've done for Him. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's not wrong to do a great many things of good for the Lord. It's great to go sandbag. It's great to teach in the Sabbath school. It is great to, 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 to help the trustees. It is great to pray for others. But I want to remind you of this, because Jesus makes a clear reminder to, the, to, to, to those that were hearing this story. Always remind yourself to compare your portfolio of work for God to His portfolio of work for you. Oh God, my spiritual resume is quite impressive. I taught confirmation. That's seventh graders, Lord. I've listened to 13 years of Pastor Mike's sermons. Lord, I even served on a committee at the church and came to the church cleanup day. Lord, I brought my family to the church. My resume is quite impressive. What do you got there, Lord? For you, I created everything that is, was, and shall be. For you, I gave you complete free will to live as you desire. For you, I promised an eternity to you. How we doing? We need to take time and when we think we're so good, remind ourselves of whose resume we're comparing ourselves to. See, it didn't occur to the Pharisee. It did not occur to the Pharisee to measure himself against the God of the sky. That is God's ability and what God thought he could be. It's a really simple thing. Buttrick writes this about this parable. He says, a mountain, listen to this, draw this to your own mind. You're going to have to finish this for yourself. A mountain can lord over a molehill, right? A mountain can lord over a molehill. But both cower under the stars in the sky. Both are tiny in the midst of that. And if our God is the God of the sky, then who are we that God is mindful of us. So, where does this take us? The key to justification is acknowledging our sin and asking for mercy. <clears throat> See, the tax collector, the beautiful part of the story is the tax collector knows who he is. And he knows God knows who he is. He's not trying to fake anybody out. He's not trying to, 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 to cause any deception here. He trusted not in who he was, but in who God was. He trusted that God was merciful. He didn't hope in, in what he had. He didn't hope in what he might bring to worship that day. He hoped in what he might receive, the forgiveness of all the sins, all the wickedness, all the difficultness that he had put on others. And this humility, understand this, this humility is why God received him as righteous and not the other one. This is the radical, scandalous nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, don't, don't mistake this. Don't, don't insert something that says you can do whatever you want as long as you come humbly before God. His deeds were not condoned. His, he is not lifted by some swift magic to, to heights of godly character. His struggle with sin is not canceled, and nor will yours be when you come and receive 
and touch and feel the elements of communion. But he came in clarity of who the king was. And the king was not he. It was the Lord of the universe. He knew his unworthiness. And unlike the Pharisee who came with some righteousness and said, Hey, God, glad, you know, I know you're glad I'm here. He had such faith and such understanding of who God was. That he didn't even have the courage to lift his eyes to heaven. He did not dare lift his eyes to God. His whole prayer was a plea. God, have mercy on me. Now, those of you that are part of the culture in which we live understand this. Guilt is really unpopular today. Isn't it? Guilt is really unpopular in in, in the American way. You need to feel good about yourself. That's the current narrative of the day. You need to feel, that's what's in fashion. That's what's in vogue. You need to feel good. And I'll tell you what, if, if you're feeling guilty, I can set you up with a counselor so you'll feel good about yourself. You need to wash that off. You need to get that negative behavior corrected. It's, it's not healthy to feel guilty. To which I think our Lord says, <laughs> three years of seminary, that's what I got. Because we are guilty. I should, with a question, say, Amen. We are guilty. We are. And along with guilt being out of vogue, so is humility. Humility's not in vogue either, yet our Lord God cannot be found without both. Our Lord God cannot be found without humility. Our Lord God not, cannot be found without us coming with humble and contrite hearts. And, and when, we, when, we, when we say that the key of justification is to acknowledge our sin and ask for mercy, it means that we are to humbly confess your sins before God. We're humbly confess our sins before God with remorse and repentance. To, to really, in this place, and maybe another, to really pronounce your sins, to really say it. Because here's what the, here's what the tax collector knew. That God knew his sins. He knew the dark spots of his heart. And I know that you and I would have a hard time. I'm not talking about the the, the sins that we all see about you or that you see about me. I'm talking about the fact that God allows you and wants you to pronounce the sins that are your darkest blot. Because he doesn't want to make your soul a little bit clean. He wants to make it all the way clean. And I encourage you because, I mean, just think about this. I want you to play this out in your own mind. If you are required here today to stand publicly and come up here or down here and say out loud the thing that you know or the things that you know trouble God and that are sinful and that you carry some guilt on and you had to say them out loud, I I think that you would have a difficult time with that. I think most of us in those sins, and you have to insert yours, I know what mine is. I know what my sins are that I don't want to say before you. And if I had to even just go into my bedroom and and just say them out loud, that that would be quite a bit damaging to me, even though I know that they're there, and even though I know that I take them to God, and even though I know that my wife knows what they are, I don't want to pronounce them out loud. And yet, what Jesus is saying to us is, if you can truly pronounce them out loud, if you can truly pronounce them on your, on your knees here, He'll take them from you. I mean, that's what the cross 
is all about. When Jesus goes on to the cross, when you know we have the bread tied to the cross to understand that the bread of life goes to the cross, he doesn't go to the cross simply to bless you. He goes there to save you. That when he's on the cross, you see the very worst of humanity, every sin, the worst of you is on the cross so that you might see the best of God. That's what the cross is all about. So, so it's the hardest thing, but, but when you come, not just here, maybe, maybe today is just going to be a walking through the line in this moment, but you have a lot more moments outside of worship in public settings during the week than inside public worship. But God comes at all of those moments towards you as well. And don't be afraid to pronounce those most difficult things because God knows you. This is what the public, the, fair, the, the, the tax collector tells us. That God knows the real you, not the real, the you you want us to see. He knows that you, the deep inside you. And you have ability to accept God's gift, the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. You know, this morning, and I want to lead you right to the table of Thanksgiving, the communion. This is all about upon what grounds you approach God. So let me give you some pastoral leadership. I admonish you in the name of Jesus Christ to approach God in your prayers and receive the sacrament of community, communion with a humble and confessing heart. Come on the ground of need. You remember the words we sang just a few moments ago? Just as I am. Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bids me come to you, come to thee. The the cross is a bidding to you, come to me, lay down your lives at the foot of my cross. Understand that the bread and the blood is for you. Understand that this is a transformational moment. Come knowing that you have no defense. You know, that's what it means, just as I am without one plea. It means no amount of lawyers, no amount of wiggling and wriggling legally can make you righteous. None of that can take my sin away from being what it is, which is my sin. I have no plea, but thy blood was shed for me. And you bids me, come. Come on the ground of certainty that he and he alone can make you well. Or as you sang a few moments ago, just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, yea, all I need in thee to find. Here at the table, find what your God offers you. And come on the ground of humility. Or like you sang, just as I am, thou wilt receive. Can you get that? Just as I am. God's going to receive you. I'm I'm telling you, He's not going to leave you the way you are. None of us, if we really receive God, get to stay the way we are. He's a transformational God. But just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because, because of thy promise. I believe the empty chancel communion is so that you won't make it hard. You won't confuse You don't need to smile at a confirmation student. You don't have to say thank you to your pastor. It's so that you won't confuse that this is for you, that Christ is sufficient for all things. So come now humbly, humbly seeking God's mercy because he does and he will receive you and forgive you. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. God, we come this morning just as we are, knowing that you alone have the power 
to pardon us, to open our hearts, to cleanse us. And so, Father God, without hesitation, we don't say, Oh, God, I bet you're glad I'm in worship today. But we say, Lord, I'm glad you're here for me today. In your name we come. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.